Welcome to 21st Century Women, a podcast created to find and share the stories of fabulous women doing fabulous things. And today on 21st Century Women, we are catching up with Tash Lawton, the founder and creator of Period Talk, which is a menstruation education program for schools aimed at boys and girls aged 8 to 14 and their parents. Welcome, Tash, to 21st Century Women. Thank you very much, Jenna. Thank you for having me. So, Tash, my understanding is together with Share the Dignity, you have recently launched Period Talk and Period Talk was... Well, it was born out of frustration that were, that there's really limited resources available on the topic of menstruation. So can you tell us more? What is Period Talk? Well, I certainly can. Thank you. So glad you asked. Uh, whether you're aware or not, girls are getting their periods as young as eight years old. So that's already pretty early. And schools typically aren't covering this info, if at all, until like the last year of primary or the first year of high school. Uh, they're pretty much just periods just bundled into the sex talk, which generally goes for about an hour. And reference is made to the fact that you'll get something called a period at some point. And then you're thrown a bag of pads or tampons with no ability to self-select the brand because it's the brand itself that has pushed it on the school, which is then passed on to the kids, which is another conversation as well. As you correctly said, Period Talk is its a fully comprehensive fun. It is fun because it's kids teaching kids, engaging, it's informative, uh, just a specific menstruation education program aimed boys and girls, video-based. There are boys in the videos, shock horror, um, and it covers every menstruation topic imaginable, the cycles, periods of the environment, PMS, nutrition, pain management, stretches, sanitary products, what happens to our bodies and our minds, boys and periods, how different cultures manage their periods, uh, periods and hormone, uh, periods in the homeless, and what a healthy period should look like. Teachers, literally all they need to do is stick on the PowerPoint, play the videos, follow the lesson plans, the content aligns to the health and physical education curriculum the Victorian curriculum and the recently released New South Wales PDHPE syllabus. It was written by an HP education specialist with input from HP teachers from around Australia and is endorsed by the University of Western Sydney. Sounds incredible and it sounds very well researched and it's it's quite interesting but just before we started interviewing I, I came into a room and ran into a colleague or a friend and they said oh who are you interviewing and I said oh um you know I'm interviewing Tash from period talk and and his man and he's I would say early 30s and he was quite surprised he said oh okay is this for young girls or is this you know and I said no it's for young boys mm-hmm. and girls and so I find it really interesting, you know, he would, you know, he's in his 30s, he would have friends um, and been in relationships, so he would be familiar with what this is. I mean, I'd like to think so. So periods is an everyday topic that, you know, everybody on this planet experiences in one way, shape or form, whether you're a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, and whether you're in a relationship, um, have children, you come across this yet mm-hmm. we are still like my friend just before we still find it 
I don't know if you'd say awkward, but it's 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 not doesn't feel natural. I would argue, mm. you know, especially among some people, and you know, girls might feel super comfortable with their amongst their friends and different in you know in their social circles, but they might not feel so comfortable with you know their parents, for example, to talk about it. So Tash, tell us why is it so important, and why has you know it been overlooked to talk about periods? and everything that comes with it? Wow, a question. Um, you're right, it's very important to talk about it uh, because, well, first, we're not, we wouldn't be here without them. So like, they, they play a pretty big part. Um, so girls and women, I reckon, need to understand it because this isn't just hippie, spiritual, airy fairiness. It's fact that when you understand your menstrual cycle, you become deeply connected with your body. When you're connected with and understand your own body and how it works, it's empowering. Empowering because when you realize that every single week something is changing hormonally that impacts your physical and emotional state, then you have the opportunity to take control of that and use it to your benefit. You'll know, for example, when to eat what at the right time to make sure that you're always feeling good. You'll know when to exercise and what type of exercise to do to maximize your workout time. You'll even know more and the best time to socialize. That's all held. All that information is held within our cycle. And depending where you're at in your cycle, you'll understand the best time even uh, for school or work purposes. To, to do research versus when it's a better time to stand in front of a crowd and present. And when you track and you monitor your cycle on a month-by-month -month basis, you'll be able to work out if there's anything out of whack hormonally and massively important when you reach that stage in your life when it's time to try and get pregnant, you'll be way ahead of the eight ball because you'll just understand your cycle. It's ridiculously empowering. And the obvious question, boys and men need to understand it because um, and I don't think it's their fault. They have no education and haven't been educated. But they need to better understand their female friends and partners so that they can offer support when required at certain times of the month. And just so they can be far more empathetic than they currently are, like I said, though, due to a lack of education and understanding. Which is all so relevant and makes so much sense when you break it down like that, Tash. Um, break it down. <laughs> break it down, that's right. Um, and you have to bear with us because we are on Google Hangouts, so the line, I mean, I can pick up things, but the line isn't as perfect as if we were in the room together. Um, but I want to ask a couple of questions. But before I move on, you spoke, you mentioned then that, um, that women you know, in parts of their cycle should research at certain times and they should present at certain times. Um, can you tell me? I see your face and you go, I was going to say, can you tell me when? when, yeah, when do you present? You know, when do you do something? At what stage do you do something that's quite confronting and get up in front of people? Is it, you know, I know that the week before I would get my period, I would eat so much and feel, you know, discussing the week after is when I'm in my best physical moment and I want to get, you know, I feel fit and I feel great. Um, so when do I present? 
<laughs> well, do you know what? I can be really tricky in my response and say, I'm not going to tell you everything. You can go and research that little piece of gem <laughs> nugget. That's what you're here for. <laughs> <laughs> However, yeah, well, it's pretty much, like you're right, it's the same time when you're feeling. So when you first, contrary to popular belief, when you're actually bleeding, that is a time for when you can do a heap of exercise, actually. And you can, you know, spurts, it's the, um, you can, you got more power, which is kind of contra thing me jobby to what you'd think. Um, and then the time that you are creating, that's when you're in the spotlight. That's when you're feeling your best. That's like summer. That's like, bing, midday, I'm on, like, bring it, yeah. you know. That, that's probably the best time. And then when you, you know, you go bring yourself when you're feeling about to bleed, all that kind of stuff. It, it, it's not that complicated and it's really simple when you actually think about it, but you, we're so disconnected from our bodies that you don't even think about it. Mm. And then let's talk about, I mean, you talk about all of this stuff and unfold why it's so important to understand period and, and period talk. My understanding is that Australia would have a pretty good handle on everything and this topic. So, which my understanding now, talking to you, it kind of doesn't. So why is period talk so relevant in Australia today? Why aren't we more ahead? Um, you're right. We're not as ahead as we uh, could be. Um, uh, why is that? All right, well... <laughs> I think it's been overlooked for a number of reasons. There's lots of theories. Um, some people, just to make it really basic, some people consider blood to be dirty. So in turn, that makes them feel dirty and embarrassed to talk about it. Then just doesn't get spoken about. Um, I also reckon that society teaches us that women need to be keen and beautiful and perfect. And the idea that they, am I allowed to say vagina? I just did. Yeah, of course you can. You can say whatever oh. you want on here, Dash. <laughs> Go and to the town. That, <laughs> and the idea that they bleed from their vaginas doesn't stereotype. So no one wants to talk about that. A lack of edu education means that people don't actually understand it. And therefore, another reason it just gets brushed under the carpet. And for some people, they believe that it's overlooked because we're a patriarchal society that doesn't like to encourage empowering women. Um, so... All of those reasons then mean, you know, like not looking at the subject and then things like um, period poverty is massive. Uh, that impacts one in 10 girls not being able to afford period products and then 50% of young adults missing out on all school days. And that's in Australia. Um, 27% of girls aged between 13 and 18 are absent from school because of um, distressing symptoms relating to their period. And obviously some of which of those can be prevented with a better, broader understanding of the menstrual cycle, knowing your body and being taught that ongoing PMS symptoms are not normal and in most cases are treatable. Um, the University of Queensland Global Change Institute report found that Indigenous girls who were normally you know, pretty law-abiding 
felt forced to steal sanitary pads from their local stores because packets can cost up to you know ten dollars each. Uh, schools in some areas, in the indigenous indigenous areas, have no sanitary bins in the bathrooms. Others have got no soap. The loos are clogged up, um, and that you know that's across Queensland, Northern Territory, South Australia, and New South Wales. Um, mothers and grandmothers have said that girls are missing school when they have their periods. So, yeah, all this stuff is relevant in Australia because all this stuff is happening in Australia. And, you know, the endometriosis thing, it's, this is huge. Another staggering statistic that's beginning to get some traction in the media that's related to endometriosis. One in 10 of women of a reproductive age um, in Australia and New Zealand are suffering from endometriosis. But because we're not talking about it, they have no idea first about what it is. And then, God forbid, what the hell you do when you know that you've got it. So, you know, that's a good enough reason for me. It's massive. And all the things that you've just mentioned, they seem like they can be, I wouldn't say fixed overnight, but there's a lot that we can do to support girls, whether it's, you know, not growing, not going to school or, you know, experiencing symptoms and things. Um, and then there's so much that we could do as a nation that we don't do, I would imagine, you know, even just to make sanitary products more affordable um, and make it less of a stigma and just make it so much more comfortable. I mean, when you're that age as well, you're so vulnerable to mm. so much pressure from your peers and parents and, you know, you put so much more pressure on yourself than sometimes there ever actually is. And then mm. you add this on top of it and if it's, you know, if it doesn't feel like it's normal or if you can't relate to your friends or if you can't afford, um, you know, pads or tampons, it's, yeah, it's a pretty hard position to be in. Yeah, and you can't talk about it either. So, yeah, I mean, what do they do? It's, it's it becomes really isolating. Yeah, it's definitely picking up the 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 new black is you know across the in other countries really is that um, you know free tampons are definitely becoming free tampons in public places is definitely becoming the new thing. Like in America, I read just recently that they're stocking them in restaurants now and um when you go to oh my god this was a girlfriend moment mcg oh i don't know if i'm allowed to say that well yeah i am yes i went to the mc bloody g the other day (laughs) she got her she started to bleed there was nothing went looking in the whole of the mcg and they had nothing and the reason she got sent an email afterwards because she was like that's outrageous not like I can just pop out down the shop. Yeah. Um, the reason that they don't stock them, it was like a, a cost-cutting, budgeting thing. So that wasn't something that they uh, prepared to you know, eat into their budget. Oh, great. Well, I'll just bleed all over the MCG then. I mean, that's interesting because you want to see women, you know, going into stadiums and you want to make it a place where it's easy. And why? Well, they can't just put them up and charge $2 for them or something or you know, ask for money if that's the case. I mean, what, you're happy to sell Cokes of can, cans of Coke oh, and all God. sorts of things. Okay. It's like, why not put them up? That is absolutely ludicrous. It's outrageous, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe by the grand final to... weekend, the MCG will stock tampons and pads. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. All the players can run the packet. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about a campaign. <laughs> On another topic, Tash, what's your opinion on on talking openly about sex and everything that comes with 
sex, including periods, with our children? And how early do we start these conversations? Okay, way earlier than we think we should. There was a um, there was a survey done where parents thought that the question was, uh, at what age should you start talking to your kids about sex? This is sex in particular. Um, and the average answer from parents was 11 and almost a quarter said 12, um, like 9, 10% said 13, I think. Problem is, if you wait until your kid is 11 to talk about sex, the amount of information that you to impart all at once is going to be really overwhelming. Trying to explain sex to an 11-year-old when you've never talked about anything sex-related before, right? You know, it's like trying to teach your child algebra before they know what numbers or letters are. It's a, it's a little bit tough, I think. Don't know where to start. So, and then because it becomes overwhelming, you probably just don't say anything at all. Um, that's the one thing. If you start talking to your kids when they're still small, it becomes a lot easier when you eventually have to talk to them about actually having sex. That partly because you're getting practice, but also because every time you make it through a conversation, you've naturally created a space for you and your child to come back to. But what does talking about sexuality to a four or five-year-old actually look like? Um, and I reckon it's things like, you know, when they come home and they're, they, they, they ask really innocent questions. Yep. You know, why do, why do grown-ups like to kiss or how come that boy is wearing a dress? You know, all that kind of stuff, which with very young children, um, you shouldn't be dodging, you shouldn't be dodging those questions. Uh, and you just answer them just straight out, you know, like it's, innocent we put an adult head on when we're talking to a kid but a kid doesn't have an adult head in their in their questioning um and teaching them proper names of their body parts especially the girl ones we never name never seem to name um and all girls like this is plain simple not everybody knows this not all grown-up girls know this the difference between their vulva and their vagina for instance you know like unless you tell them they don't know, and, and there's a difference. Um, and, you know, no matter how painful it is for you to kids about sex, and making sure that they get access to comprehensive sex education actually keeps them safer. I think some people think, oh, if I start talking to them about it early or at all, then they're just going to go and do it. But again, there was a um, thing done that said that, um, that proved that sex education doesn't lead to kids having sex earlier, but it does often result in them waiting longer before starting to have sex and also increases the likelihood that they'll use contraception. So, you know, seriously, there's no excuse, personally. I, I just don't, uh, you just gotta, you gotta have the uncomfortable conversation. So two things, before you mentioned, we talked about the why it's important that period talk is relevant today in Australia, and you touched on it's about women and uh, young girls feeling empowered and I think when you talk about the sex and all of what you're saying right now is being open about sex and periods from such a young age it allows them to feel empowered in their bodies and feel like they're in control and you know conversely I would imagine that if they didn't feel empowered they would almost feel inquisitive to find out what it is Correct and do it for the wrong reasons and, you know, feel to be cool when they've got all the facts given to them, they can then make the decision to do what they want. 
and it's their body, which I think is super, super interesting because mm. how many times, we, like you said, we hear nicknames for, you know, vaginas or penises and, you know, and then that happens up until they're, you know, 13 or 14 and then that nickname becomes weird and you don't want to talk about the nickname. It's like... Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you, you know, can't say it. You're yeah. referring to it as blooming, you know, fluffy when you're 50, <laughs> like seriously. <laughs> exactly. And the other thing which I found really uh, important is you know, talking to them at a really young age and being honest with them. And, you know, if the five-year-old goes, oh, where does the baby come out of? It's okay to say, yeah, it comes out of the vagina. Oh we God, don't say so it comes okay. out of the belly button. We don't say it was formed because she ate an apple or it's because she <laughs> ate yogurt and then the kid never eats yogurt for the rest of its life. <laughs> but, yeah, can you please just reiterate that it is okay to talk about vaginas and penises and sex and the and periods and all of this stuff, should they be asking about it, it's okay to talk about it openly, honestly, and not have to cover up with, you know, theories and, you know, bits and pieces. More than saying that it's okay, like you actually, it's your duty, I believe, as a parent your kids on these topics you can't just assume you know and the irony here you know this is why for me I've I've made it accessible yes for schools but also for parents because you can't just I can put it over to the school to do you you just have to take responsibility for educating your child about you know fit life stuff really important things in life it's great that they know how to do algebra but for god's sake if they don't know what hole they're <laughs> periods coming out seriously doesn't matter does it that but yeah it's just it's just 101 for me and i think it would be 101 because you fully understand this topic you've researched it heavily you know you've created period talk you and it, it totally reflects this saying of education and understanding a topic and it allows you you know you feel empowered as a parent um, but I didn't come at it from a background of anything no. other than just a mum. That's yep. it. Like I am no different to any – I'm not a professor of vaginas or, you know, like I really – it literally just has come from a – I'm a mum and I'm a human and I have a daughter and a son and I want to make sure that I educate them and give them all the knowledge to prepare them take themselves out into the real world as I possibly can and that's not just – academic stuff that's real life stuff i'm getting a little bit impassioned now <laughs> it's great uh, tash there are lots of misconceptions about menstruation what are some of these just off the top of your head do you have any oh there's a there's a few uh there's one about you can't get pregnant when you're on your period yep. um that is you know it's unlikely but that can happen um just because you think that you your period you reckon that when you're on your period your uterus is shedding its inner lining it's your body's way of saying no baby in here um that that's not the case because not everybody's not every woman's cycle is 28 days many women have cycles that last between 21 and 35 and ovulation for women varies too so don't think that that's just uh, a given um, 
overseas, if you're on your period, some believe you can't touch a pickle jar or it will go bad. Some countries believe you can't prepare sushi. Pretty obvious where that one comes from. Some say you can't bathe in the same tub as your family members or drink cow's milk because you might poison the entire herd. <laughs> um, and in fact, for some, it's just better if you chill out in a dark shed away from other people. Isn't it's that horrible? Pretty hectic. But then you also have um, what other what other wonderful myths? Oh yeah, the one around the water, so that um, your period stops when you get in the water, and that is to think that your flow stops entirely when you're in the water. That there's a there's a misconception about that. Clear a shark will not smell your period blood, just in case you've worried about that and mistake you for lunch, I promise. But on the topic of whether your period stops, whether you're in the water, that is a fallacy. So while the pressure of the water may make your blood stay inside of your vagina, it doesn't stop the flow completely. So as soon as you get out of the bathtub or swimming pool, you may have experienced a big gush. Well, depends, not everybody has a massive gush, but you you know, it certainly doesn't stop it. That's just gravity. Um, and what about the loss of blood during your period? Do you know how much blood you lose? You're not, if you do, you're not allowed to stay. Well, I only do from watching period talk videos, but before oh, yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. Right. Well, tell me then. You educate me. What's the normal blood loss? Well, it is in between. God, now you're going to get me. I want to say 14 teaspoons and one cup. Is that right? Oh, yeah, four. Teaspoon. Four teaspoons. He doesn't say that's a lot. Tablespoon. Tablespoon. Oh, tablespoon. four tablespoons and a cup, yeah. which is, you know, you, when I think about it, I go, it's not that much. But on the period talk video, um, the kids on the video actually show what that looks like in cups, and it is significantly different. It's surprising how much Massively. there is a difference. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, it is. It is really, really different. And, but, but also to say, you know, the only time to worry. If you're losing so much blood that it's affecting your life, you know, that's when you start to go, okay, well, then there's a problem. That Because it's so vast, the differences. So if you're going through, say, more than seven tampons a day, bleeding for more than seven days or becoming anemic, those are all signs that you could be losing too much blood and you need to see. Um, so, yeah, you know, you need to. And another reason, again, why you need to be, you know, switched on, in tune with your body, understanding, looking. Use a pad or use a cup. You can see how much blood, you know, cups the best because you actually physically see how much blood you're losing. Speaking of cup and speaking of pads and tampons, there's so many products on the market. Um, can you give us a bit of insight in terms of what these products are and the difference between everyday products that we see you might be familiar with and we're starting to see more and more of organic options coming through? Can you just talk us through some options and some give us some advice if there is some? Yeah, it's kind of cool, really, actually. But, you know, the marketplace is growing for more and more products. Um, as it should be. Um, so you've got your conventional pads with or without an applicator. I've never got those applicators. They're just really confusing. Bad enough trying to just deal with the bloody thing by itself, let alone trying to, what do you do? Do you keep the... Do you throw the paper away? Does the paper stay up there? The cardboard? It's all very confusing. <laughs> okay, so tampons with that with or without applicators, you have pads of varying sizes. 
and with without wings, you have um, cups and converted. I used to be a tampon girl, but now I'm like cups all the way. I love them. Love it. I love it. I love it. Main reason, because I live by the beach, I don't ever have that, you know, worry that when I'm I hop out of the ocean, I have a string dragging half a mile down behind. I'm not with anyone to check. That's just been ridiculous for <laughs> me. Um, you've got the uh, reusable cloth pads. They're very cool as well. And you have now the undies, period undies, which my daughter is loving. It seems like the teenagers, that's their, that's their thing of choice. And that's amazing because that's environmentally friendly. You know, that it's all made from good stuff. They're, they're cool. They're a great. I haven't quite got my head around those. I'd still, I'm happier with my cup. Yes, yeah, um, I can't quite get my head around that. And yeah. um, and I still use tampons, but uh, b- the biggest eye opener, which you told me, and I think it, listeners would love to hear, is, and we're starting to learn more and more about it. But the the chemicals and the products that are in the the tampons that I use. They're not labelled on the on the packet. You don't have. Is that correct? So you don't have to actually label what ingredients are in a tampon on the packet. So therefore, the amount of crap that you're putting up there is pretty scary when you break it down like that. When you know, for a dollar or two extra, I just thought, oh, it's cheaper. It's not a worry. But now I definitely buy the organic ones um, for that reason. Well, yeah, I was blown away when. Um I learned that it's the only product in the supermarket that doesn't have to have the ingredients listed in it. That's now, ridiculous. The, I know, it's crazy. And you just make an assumption because then it's a tampon. It's not, you don't think it's going to be harmful. Well, I don't. I didn't at all. It's just not one part of me would think that. There is the other side to it where people still think that conventional tampons aren't harmful because they contain a trace like trace amounts of these toxins. However, as the market for organic tampons is growing, which it is, because this because of this myth is being brought up more often, um, the the kind of chemicals that are in your tampons, chlorine to uh, glyphosate, I think is what it's called, rayon. Um, of which conventional tampons contain numerous harmful, harmful chemicals that can affect your reproductive and overall health. But while it's true that each tampon may only contain a trace amount of each toxin, if you consider that the average woman uses between 11,000 and 16,000 tampons over a lifetime, you know, I'm like, you know, roughly, those trace amounts add up. And because the tampon companies aren't required to disclose their ingredients, then, you know, there is even more reason to be alarmed at the chemicals present in the products. So, yeah, you know, it's ridiculous. It's like organic food. You have to pay more to eat healthily. You need to pay more to whack something up your vagina so you don't, you know, get some gnarly disease. But that's it's all as backward as it, as it is, but yeah, there's, there's relevance in it for sure. Tash, I we're going to have to finish up um, based on time, but people can find out more information, including teachers, um, but also parents. They can go to the Period Talk website and find out more information. They can also get in touch with you. 
Um, but to finish off with, I would love to get a quote that you live by or one that inspires you. What you can't be grateful for runs your life. Love it. Thank you, Tash. Thank you, Tash, so much for all of the insight into period talk. Um, I'm sure for many of the parents out there, this is a huge eye-opener. Um, and one not just for the mums and girls, but also for the dads and the boys. Thank you, Tash. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Great to have you on board, 21st Century Women, and thank you for the support. Please send me a DM if you'd like to request an episode topic. I would love to hear from you and hear what you would like to listen to. 21st Century Women podcast brought to you by John Rowland Media Productions. Catch you next time.